I want to talk to you about what do you want in life. This is part six of our study. What do you want in life? And we've seen the kid, where is he? There he is up there. He's looking, climbing to the top of the tree, looking for something special. Pastor Murray and I have been focusing on a few important issues on this topic. This morning, I want to share with you what I think is maybe one of the most important things you and I could desire during this time of the year, and also looking into the future. I want my life to count for eternity. I want to do something with my life, don't you, that makes a difference. When you look at your life this morning, what do you see? Do you see someone who's looking, looking only inside? This is what I want. This is what I need. And if it doesn't happen like I want it, I'm going to pout and tell you all how I feel. The smallest package you'll ever see is the person that's wrapped up in themselves pretty sad package. People who have been successful in life usually are the ones that have a dream and a plan which is attached to a purpose for their life. Helen Keller, who Pastor Bill knew her personally, and I told him earlier about her, Pastor Bill, she was born in 1880. There she is. She's the first deaf, blind person to ever graduate with a BA degree in America's history. Incredible woman. You can imagine she overcame a lot of hurdles with her life to fulfill her purpose. She was asked this question, which I think of all the questions and all the things she said, this is and captures maybe one of the most profound things that she could have said. She was asked, what would be worse than being born blind? To which she replied, to have sight and no vision. Sadly, in our day, never, we have a lot of people that don't think about the future. They live for the moment. They have no regard about what, what will happen to my body if I put, keep putting this stuff inside of me, you know. Um, after visiting with, a, with several different doctors, I can tell you this much. This is just my personal opinion now. This is not, I'm not preaching, I'm just telling you a personal opinion. If it tastes good, it's probably not good for you. Just a little word of wisdom for some of the younger people here in the audience. And some people say, well, it doesn't matter if it's not good for me. I'm going to eat it because I want to. And some people spend everything they make in the now without a plan for saving for tomorrow. Save for tomorrow. Give to God what's his, but save for tomorrow and have a plan. Now, some drift in life and they have no goal and don't want a goal. They just want to sit and do what they want to do. And they become good at games and stuff until their thumbs give, give out and they have to have surgery and all of that. It's been said the happiest people in the world are those who live out their dreams. The happiest people that live out their dreams. Giving yourself something to think about and live for that's bigger than you, that has eternal stability and strength, is what I'm asking you to consider today. I want, for me, my life to count for eternity. What does that mean? I believe it means making Jesus known to people that don't have a chance to know of him. I believe 
It means lifting Jesus up on a daily basis to inspire other people to see him in his greatness. You go, I've tried that and my friends are not interested. Great. At least you gave them a chance, one chance. Most people in the world have never had one chance to know that God loves them and sent his son to die on the cross for them. I want to be a part of that group that plunders hell to populate heaven, to make a difference. Because that's really what's all that, all that really counts. You going to heaven and taking others with you. That's really all that really counts in life. So that's what I want to do. That's what I want today. I want to talk to you about that. Now, if you're going to know your purpose and you're going to do great things for God, there's at least three parts of it that I'd like to talk to you about. First of all, God's plan must be revealed. God's plan must be revealed. My favorite book in the Bible is the book of Acts, and part of that is because the book of Acts is still being written. The Bible says that the last last chapter of the book of Acts, this is what the Lord began to do through his disciples. He's still working. And these signs shall follow my believing ones. In my hands they shall lay their hands upon the sick, and the sick shall... That's what the Lord said. So the book of Acts is still being written in that sense. But we read the story of the world's greatest terrorist in the book of Acts. What was his name? Saul. Popped up on my phone early this morning the picture of Saddam Hussein. Did anyone else get that? Several of you did. It was a story about how on this date, several years ago, he was arrested. He was, at that time, the most feared man alive. I want to tell you that he, has, he had nothing on the man we're going to talk about today, Saul of Tarsus. His hatred for Christ and for the people of God was so intense that people would flee towns when they knew he was coming. How do you know that, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all, you see the word, and all, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That means everybody, if you were a follower of Christ, hit the road quickly because Saul is coming to town. Now, interesting word, persecution, it's uh, diagmos is the Greek word. It means chase, to pursue, or harass. That's what he was going to do, and that's what he did. Now, the Bible goes on to say that Saul is increasing his, his hatred. He's getting other people to join him in this mission to destroy every Christ follower he can find. Even kill him, yes. And so he's on his way to Damascus. Damascus is not Israel. Damascus is the capital of Syria. In fact, Damascus is the oldest city in the world, and he's on his way there. And while he's going, he's going there because there's 30 to 40 synagogues in that city, historians tell us, during Christ's day, following Christ's day, that's about what was going on in the city. So it was a large following in the city of Christ's followers. He sees it, and he thinks there's thousands of people I can find, and I can get them all and execute every one of them. While Saul is traveling to Damascus, a great light from heaven hits him and knocks him off the chariot that he's on, or his horse, whatever. And he hears a voice from heaven, 
And this is what the voice said, Acts chapter 9, verse 3 and 4. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The story is very unique in the early part of Acts because it's replicated late in the book of Acts as Saul retells the story in front of King Agrippa in the 26th chapter of Acts, and he recounts the story then and says, a great light struck me down. The, great, the, word, the word that's used for great light means that it was brighter than the sun, the Greek language tells us. I don't know about you, but just looking at the sun is dangerous and it can burn your eyes out. You can't, you're not supposed to look at the sun, but he says a light greater then the light of the sun hit me and knocked me off my horse. So I'm just here to remind you, God's got plans for America. He's got plans for elections. He has plans for the... And his power is greater than any circumstance. And he has, he has the power to change things or to arrest people's direction in an instant. Always remember that. So anyway... Throughout history, God's presence has had profound effect on people. Remember Isaiah. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he said, when I saw the Lord, what did he say? Woe is me. He said, I'm done. He is a holy God. And I, can't, I, have no, I can't stand in front of a holy God like this. My life is over. Daniel, when he saw the Lord in his vision, he said, I was afraid and said, I had no strength left in me. He literally melted on the floor. We read of John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation, and he was there persecuted for the cause of Christ, and they, they, they put him there to die. And he, in this moment, writes this revelation, and he sees the things of God, the things of eternity that are still, in many cases, yet to be fulfilled. And while he was writing, the Bible says that Jesus came to where he was and said, I am Jesus. And he began to speak to John. And John said, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Wow, effect of Jesus on people that saw him. So Jesus speaks to Saul and says, Saul, you can't fight against me and win. Now, you and I are confronted with all kinds of people that speak of injustice, people that are revolting, people are saying that the red house needs to stay here, that these buildings need to go down, and the, the, the police need to be defunded. There's people that say all kinds of unusual and things that we've never heard before in America. And there's people with all kinds of issues. And sometimes people of God are saying, why is this happening? What is going on here, and what can we do? And how can we fight back? And here we see just a glimpse of how God works. He said, Saul, you can't win in what you're doing. You're fighting me, and you won't succeed. Back to verse 4 of Acts 9. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I've historically had the vantage point that this was God is expressing his anger and saying, Saul, you rotten scoundrel, I'm coming down there and going to make you an ink spot, just get ready. That's what I thought. 
on further examination of this passage, when Jesus says Saul, Saul twice, if you study the New Testament, you find out that when a name is repeated twice, it's a term of endearment. It's a term of mercy. It's a term of tenderness. Jesus said, you're an outlaw, you're a no good blankety blank, but Saul, I care about you and I got a plan for your life and I'm knocking you off that horse right now and I'm telling you, you can't win this fight. And what does Saul say immediately? He asks him two questions. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want? What do you want with me? I believe those two questions, if you answered them correctly, puts you and I on a trajectory of a successful, blessed, prosperous life. Who are you, Lord? We know who he is. We were shared in the communion elements this morning about the wonders of his love and his care, and we're reminded we understand that. Who is he? We know. But what does he want? That's the question of the hour today. God's plan's got to be revealed. So he's laying there, blinded. Acts 9, verse 6. Jesus speaks to him, now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Saul is trembling. He's blind. He's the world's greatest terrorist. He's got thousands of enemies all around. Anyone that wants to get even. You killed my poppy. Bam, I'm going to get you. You killed my daughter. You killed my kids. You killed... So there, he's probably filled with fright, thinking, who's going to stab me? Who's going to take my head off? Something's going to happen bad. He's blinded. He's got a rope around his neck. He's being hauled into the capital city of Syria, Damascus. Wow. And he's blinded. But he asks that important question, who are you and what do you want with me? Now, late in life, let's fast forward. Again, I told you back to Acts 26, how Jesus is talking to, to uh, um to Saul, and now at the end of his journey, he's standing in front of King Agrippa, giving defense for his life, and he says to them, uh, God's plan was revealed to me, King, and then he said, I followed his direction for all these many years. I've done what God asked me to do all of these years. So Paul is now in front of Agrippa, like I said in Acts 26. Let's read the story in verse 15. So I asked, Jesus, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Wait a minute. I thought you were dead. I thought you were down and in the ground, and, and the devil was dancing over the, the fact that you were gone. And you're alive? You're talking to me? Who are you, Lord? You understand why he asked this question. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You know, when you have... When you have a woman in the Senate that inquires of a Supreme Court justice, it troubles me that you say God talks to you every day. That troubles me that the senator, the U.S. senator from California asks. When a person is persecuting a follower of Christ, they are persecuting Jesus them, themselves. And so we look at this word. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appointed, I've appeared to you to appoint to you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and what you will see of me. How are we going to get on the God's program? Realize that he's going to show you who he is and tell you what he wants you to do. I'm going to rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm going to send you to them 
to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. We talked about that last Sunday. Sanctified means separated from something to something else. Sanctified by faith in Jesus. Please note, Jesus' vision inspired Paul, first of all, to see himself and then to understand what the will of God was for his future. And God's plan for you and me is just the same. We've got to recognize he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's for you. If there's anyone who should have hated Saul, it was God. It was Jesus. But he didn't. He said, Saul, Saul, come on. Talk to me. You're not going to succeed doing what you're doing. So I want to remind you this morning, life is short. Now in this audience, most of us could say, the clock is not moving at all. I'm 16 years of age and I don't have a driver's license yet. I don't, I, my parents don't let me drive, even sniff the wheel of the car. And we taught our children how to drive. We lived in, some, in the country and had some property and we taught them how to drive. How old was Brent when he started driving? Was it 12 or something, 12 or 13? What? 10. Okay, yeah, they were driving the truck. We had a, we had a pickup truck. With, one of our vehicles, and uh, they love driving, you know, not on the highways and on the roads, but in our fields. But anyway, praise God. Where was I now? Uh, life is short. Short. We have something on our refrigerator. Maybe some of you have heard this before. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I've got to understand that God's plan's got to be revealed to me. I've got to understand he has a plan for me, and he has a plan for you. Notice, secondly, God's purpose must be released. God's purpose must be released. Now we find a man named Ananias. Would you say that name with me? I want you to remember. Ananias. Ananias. God gives him a specific purpose. He's a strong Christian man. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple. This is the clue. He's, the disciple. He's a follower of Christ. And his name is Ananias. The Lord speaks to him in a vision and says, Ananias. Ooh. Well, you know, maybe he was asleep. I don't know. Maybe he was awake. But notice what Ananias did. He said, yes, Lord. And the Lord said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. If you ever get to Damascus, you'll find that there is still a street today named the Straight Street. It's the longest street in town. And it's there, and that's where Judas had his house. I want you to go to the house of Judas and inquire about a man who's there from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's praying in a vision. The man from Tarsus has seen a man named Ananias. That's you. Walk into the house and put your hands upon him, and scales will fall off his eyes, and he'll gain his vision. Wow. Lord, Ananias says, I've heard many people say about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here to our city with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer for my name. 
I've, been, I've thought about this verse many times. Do you see where in verse 15 the Lord says to Ananias, he says, go. I'm not going to poll you, but I ask you to think about what was the intonation on God's command? Ananias, would you please go? How many of you think, man, I'm going to pull you in here. How many of you think it was that way? Ananias, would you think about going? I mean, I can't find anybody else. Would you be the guy that goes? Not one of you. Maybe he said, do I have to call somebody else? Do I have to ask your sister or your brother to do this? He said, go. I think he said it just like that, go. He's my chosen instrument. I want you to be reminded this word instrument is an interesting word. The Greek word ischios, it means vessel, container of treasure. So Jesus says, Ananias, there's a man in that house there that's a terrorist. But to me, he's a chosen vessel. He's got treasure in him that I've put there. He's going to take my name and proclaim it all around the world. And I want you to go there and lay your hands upon him. I'm going to talk to him personally about what he's going to face. And I just want to remind you that God will give you personal direction too about things that are ahead, things that are coming. So for three days, remember this, the book of Acts is written by a who? A physician. His name is Luke. So Luke has written from a medical standpoint, what does he say? He said, this man's here and for three days he's in the house. He's blind. Can't see. He's opened his heart to the Lord and now he's waiting for a miracle. Now despite Ananias' protest, he obeys the voice of the Spirit and went to the house owned by Judas and he walks in and puts his hands upon the head of this man, this terrorist. God says, you're a chosen vessel, and you're going to bear my, the name of the Lord to the Gentiles, to the kings, and before the sons of Israel. The word chosen is an interesting word. Chosen means divine salvation. He's the man who's going to bear divine salvation. He's going to proclaim it, and the power of God is going to go into operation. So isn't it interesting? Let's pause for just a second. God has a specific plan for a certain man I want to ask you, isn't it wonderful that God has a plan for you too? You're not a person that goes, I just like to be alone. I just want to be by myself. I just want my friends to be around. I just want to have some time. I just don't want any pressure. I, don't, I just want to eat and I want to be with my dog. And... I don't know what you're saying. But I'm just here to remind you God's got a specific purpose for you. Let me just explain to you what the purpose is in general for everyone. He says to, of Paul, his mission is to open eyes. When you tell a friend that's an atheist or an agnostic or is a person bound in cultism that Jesus loves them and they go, what do you mean? I don't get that. And you start to unwrap what's in your heart. He says this, your mission is to open eyes. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Christ. 
Paul said it best, I think, in Ephesians 1.18. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened and enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You see, the big problem people have is the devil has blinded their eyes. So when you witness to a coworker or a friend or a schoolmate, and they go, man, are you sick or what? People don't understand that God wants to talk to you, and he will talk to you if you listen. The Holy Spirit will give you direction, point-by-point navigation, if you want it. In the middle of this, he said he's he's gonna help us open our, and the second part of the mission is to turn from the power of Satan. You see, Satan has authority that's limited to hold a person where they are in sin. I didn't read this in the early service, I didn't have time, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, for he has rescued, past tense, he's rescued us from the dominion, meaning authority, of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom, in him, in Jesus, in whom we have redemption and even the forgiveness of sin. He's delivered us from the authority. Satan has authority over your life until you say, Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sin. Pastor Murray led us in a simple prayer just moments ago regarding communion, about preparing our hearts to receive the Lord. Simple prayer. Jesus, I want your authority in my life. Same thing, to turn us from the power of Satan. So let's go back to, this, to the lesson in Acts 9 for a moment. Verse 17, then Ananias went into the house and entered it. I wonder how nervous he was. Here's a bloodthirsty killer He's probably hadn't had a a shower. He's still got the blood of saints on his hands. Ananias walks into the door in obedience. And it says he placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul. He called him what God called him. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road when you were coming here, sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... The the beloved physician says, scales fell off the eyes of Saul's eyes and that he could see again and he got up and was baptized. I've asked myself questions and and I look at a text like this and go, okay, let let me unpack this. Ananias obeys the purpose of God and goes into a terrorist place where he's hanging out, not knowing anything other than obedience to what God called him to do and a miracle happened. What if Ananias had said, sorry, I can't do that? You know, sometimes God will ask you to do something and you go, I'm sorry, I don't feel very passionate about that. I don't feel like I can do that. Back to the mission of life, where power comes from, it's because we understand God God wants to open eyes through you. He wants to release people from bondage through you. It's not about us. Ananias said, but Lord, don't you know who he is? And God corrected him, said, he's my chosen vessel. So Paul receives his sight, he's baptized in the Spirit, and we note that he shortly after that is baptized in water. He needed someone to bring the power connection to him. You know what, I... I wonder what happened with Ananias the rest of his journey. I can tell you this much. uh, 
I bet he was filled with awe and wonder as he began to see the work of what Saul, now Paul, does to bring the gospel. You're working with students in the third grade, and they look like you're just not getting anywhere Sunday by Sunday. You're, you're in there with fourth grade with th- three-year-olds, and you're telling them how much Jesus loved them. They go, ooh, they're talking about the clouds. They're talking about the... And you think your work is wasted. Never work is wasted in God that's done for him. How many of you have heard of Alexander the Great before? Most of you. Alexander the Great, 330 B.C., something like that. He's the king of Greece, and he's like in his... He took over for his father, who was assassinated, and uh, I think his name was Philip. He's now 20, and he becomes the king of Greece. And he conquered most of the world. It was a prolific army that he had. If you study history, you'll find that Alexander never lost one fight, never lost one battle. He was completely victorious in every venture that he ever did. And he wept at age 25 because there were no more worlds to conquer. Nothing else to do. I'm 25, I've got nothing to do. He cried. He was never conquered, but we know that a bottle conquered him. He died of alcoholism at 32. What a waste of purpose. Brings me to my third point. I said God's plan's got to be revealed. God's purpose must be released. But thirdly, God's power must be realized. I want to feel and sense what he wants to do with me. I don't want someone to tell me how God works. I want to know him personally. I want to walk with him personally. I want his power to touch me every day. Now notice, Paul is at the end of his life. We're now in Acts 26. He's giving defense of his life in front of Agrippa. And he says in the 19th verse, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I've been faithful to everything God told me to do. Here's what we want. Take a snapshot of that. Make it your goal to do what God asks you to do through your life and say, that's my target. Did you understand what I just said? Make it your life's target. Be faithful to what God has asked you to do. It may be hurtful, it may be painful for you to do what he's asked you to do. It may be uncomfortable, but he will do it. Jesus said in Luke 9, 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Some of the greatest achievements in history have been done by people who were not content sitting in a wheel in a rocking chair. Moses, at 80 years of age, liberates three and a half million people that are in poverty. Caleb, at age 85, looks at the mountain and says, I know there's demons up there, but God, you promised that mountain to me. I'm as strong today as I was then. I'm going for it. Colonel Sanders, I know it's lunchtime, so forgive me just for a moment. One of my favorite heroes, Colonel Sanders who at 70 discovered finger-lickin'-good chicken. Ray Kroc, who at 70 introduced the world to the Big Mac. 
Thomas Edison at 85 it, it figures out how to create the mimeograph machine. Now, of all the things that you and I could desire, I want to be true to what God sees for me to make a difference. Now, as I close this morning, this means several things for all of us. The person who desires to make an eternal impact should constantly affirm in their heart and in their mind, there is no work that is of greater urgency than kingdom work. What about feeding the hungry? Yes, feed the hungry in the name of the Lord. We do that here every week. We do it in Jesus' name. You say, I'm a plumber. You're telling me my work's not important. Oh, yes, your work is very important. Be the best plumber you can be and do it as unto the Lord and lift people and say things to them. Point them to the Lord. You don't have to be a Bible thumper or a big King James Bible, but you can say, you know what? Have you ever thought of your plumbing, you know? You ever thought, out of my innermost being shall flow rivers of living water? I mean, you could come up with all kinds of stuff as a plumber. What a great life. Now, how do we know that Paul had an impact throughout his life? Here's just one example. Philippians 4.22. They're getting ready to kill him in just a couple days. And what does he say? This is an intriguing verse. He's writing to a church that has supported him. He said, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Think with me about that. He's in Rome. He's right there at Caesar's. Caesar's got him incarcerated in the Mamertine prison. And he's had impact on Caesar's family and household even though he's incarcerated. These people are sending you greetings too. These converts of mine that are from Caesar's household, they're, they're sending greetings back to you. Wow, you talk about power. So we need to regularly ask, is what I'm doing currently, does it point people to Jesus? Or does it point people to my personal greatness? Is my influence going to inspire others to want to know Christ? I had a, some of you maybe heard me tell this before, had a fifth grade Sunday school teacher. His name was James Watson. James Watson was a steel worker. He climbed big, tall buildings in Chicago, and he helped put them, fashion them all together. He smelled like oil and steel. I mean, I'm not going around sniffing Sunday school teachers, but I could, his smell was, his smell was out there. He had these big hands that were like lion's paws, and they were black stuff in between every pore, and he was a monster. And we were, we were terrible. There was 12 of us, I think, around the table, and we were, he'd turn his back to look at the notes, and we'd throw stuff at each other and yell at each other, kick each other through the, underneath the table. He said, no, no, just settle down. And you know what he did for me? He taught me to love Jesus. Oh, I had heard it. I'd fent, my parents raised me to love Jesus, but I saw it lived out through a steel worker. He taught me how much he cared about me, told me about how much more Jesus cared about me. 
told me had, God had a plan for my life. Sunday school teachers in those days could put their hands on the kids. Well, you, you can't do that today. If you do it in our Sunday school, you'll go to jail, you know? And on and on. And if you strike your child with a belt, you know, you'll go to jail. Do They can sue you. Do you know that? It's a terrible day we live in. I remember the day that they could spank you. Your parents could spank you and say this. He'd say, son, this hurts me more than it's going to hurt you. But I go, I know, daddy. I know. I know. Just like last time. I was raised in a patriotic family. I saw stars and stripes all the time. It made me, he made me jump. Anyway, praise the Lord. I'm telling you about James Watson. James Watson put his arms around us and would pray over each one of us. Sometimes I didn't understand the language he was praying in. I will never forget that man. And I want to inspire you, if you're working with people that you seem to see no traction, do it as unto the Lord. You never know who you're dealing with. Paul was a rotten, no-good scoundrel, Saul was, and Jesus said, He's my chosen instrument. He's mine. He doesn't look like mine today. Doesn't act like mine. He's mine. He's going to impact the whole world. You never know who you're dealing with. Live your life to make a difference for others. I want my life to count for eternity. How about you?